Hello, hello, you lovely people. Well, today's guest is the amazing Jackie Kabler. Now, Jackie worked as a zoologist before becoming a GMTV correspondent. She then left to work as a presenter for the shopping channel QVC, which she absolutely loves and is there today. But she's also, wait for it, an international best-selling author. I know. As a correspondent, Jackie covered stories like the Asian tsunami, the Athens Olympics, and she worked in the LA and New York offices. At the Shopping Channel, she works alongside presenters like Ruth Langsford and presents hours of live television every day. And on top of all this, Jackie has written six books. The Perfect Couple, which is out now, went to the top of the charts in the UK, Australia, and was a USA Today bestseller. It was number one in Audible, it's been sold all over the world, and is one of Amazon's most read and listened to books of 2020. You see, I told you. Now, Jackie is particularly special to me because I've known her for more than 20 years and she has always been such an inspiration. I've watched her work so hard. She's not frightened to say when something's not quite right. And not only that, she actually takes that leap when she has to. She's honest, she's brave and supportive of others too. So this is why I wanted to share her story with you because I think, well, I think she might well inspire you just like she has me. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. As I start my next chapter from journalist to author, I speak to incredible people who have already started theirs in the hope it might help you think about your next chapter or, at the very least, you might just enjoy the conversation. So, are you ready? Here she is, Jackie Kabler. Jackie Kabler, welcome to The Next Chapter. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to talk to you. Wow, this is a treat. This is an absolute treat. Now, we're going to dive straight in, Jackie. And as you know, we I structured this like a bit like a book. So the first part yeah. is the prologue, the little bit about uh, where, it, where the story started. So... You were born in Coventry, but you moved, and you had Irish, but you have Irish parents. But you moved back to Ireland as a nine-year-old. Yes, we moved. My parents wanted to go back to Ireland. They're both Irish, and then um, we moved back, and we lived in County Leitrim. And my parents bought a pub, and we grew up in a pub um, for a few years. And then we moved to Sligo, and they bought a B and B. So basically, sort of in hospitality. And um, so we lived in a pub first, and then a B and B. And I ended up staying in Ireland till I was twenty-two. So I went to secondary school and university in Ireland, and then I um, moved back to the UK after university. So yeah, it was this kind of an Anglo-Irish upbringing which was quite nice did you like that growing up in a pub and b&b's in the hospitality industry Um, yeah it was fine there was always lots of people around you know it was always quite interesting there was always something going on and I'm the oldest of six kids as well so it was always a very very busy house with lots of children and and lots of people in it um so yeah certainly never boring no not at all not at all so you did a zoology degree at Trinity College Dublin so nothing to do I with did. journalism or um, yeah. at all. So what made you do that? Um, I always loved animals and I was always really good at science at school. And when I talked to my careers advisor initially at school, I said, I want to be a vet. 
Um, and veterinary medicine is obviously quite difficult to get into and, and you know there's a lot of study involved and then I also discovered that I'm actually incredibly squeamish and I really don't like blood or anything like that I can't even watch an operation on the television so why I actually thought I would be able to be a vet I don't know so I decided okay that's probably not for me but I still love animals so I'm going to study animals so I did a zoology degree um, and it was a bit random but I loved it it was brilliant for four years. And then when I moved back to the UK, my first proper job was as a zoologist. I actually worked as a zoologist for two years. Um, I worked for the Commonwealth Agricultural Bureau, which is based in Oxford. And I worked in the Bureau of Animal Breeding and Genetics. And we were basically collating information on new cattle breeds and so on. So it was it was not like zoology as people might imagine it working in a safari park or, you know, going off to Africa and studying elephants and things like that. But um, but I worked as I was employed as a zoologist in the UK, which was quite interesting, really. It really was. And did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I did. Now, this is the thing. I did enjoy it. But I kind of knew it probably wasn't the career for me long term. And I always had this thing, I don't really know what I want to do. And, I, you know, so I was 23, 24, 25. I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. And that was the point where I met a boy. Wow. Well, I <laughs> who see. ended up who is now my husband of 26 years Very good. but um we moved to he was moving to Jersey he's a doctor and he was moving to Jersey to work in the hospital in Jersey in the Channel Islands and I just thought you know what I'm not in the right career here I need to work out what I really want to do so I moved and went over there with him and that was absolute fate I think because if I hadn't gone there I probably would never have become a journalist but that's where my journalism career actually began in, in the Channel Islands. Well that's amazing so because when you first went there did you you started off you were just doing some sort of odd jobs you were cleaning boats yeah. you worked in an underwear yeah. shop. <laughs> I did I worked in a knicker shop and I cleaned <laughs> I cleaned boats in the harbour and I was just thinking okay I need to work I need to make some money but I don't know what I want to do so I did that for a while and then I got a a job came up in the sales department on the Jersey Evening Post. Um, and I went and worked there for a bit. And I just felt drawn to the newsroom. And I kept looking at the reporters and thinking, gosh, they've got such a fun job. And eventually an opportunity came up for a trainee news reporter. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I moved from the sales department into the newsroom. And it was literally like all the lights came on. And I just thought, this is it. This is what I was meant to do. And so from having trained as a zoologist to worked as a zoologist, and suddenly I was a training news reporter at the age of 25, I think I started that. So that was my sort of my first new chapter, really, my first big career change. And that was it. I For 20, the next 20 years, that was my life, being a reporter. What did you love about it? I just, just being a news reporter, I just find it utterly fascinating. Jersey was funny because certainly back then, I and mean, obviously I'm going back 20 odd years and things may have changed, but there was very little crime on the island. So when there was a crime or, a, I mean, I think there was one murder in the two years that I worked there, which, you know, nowadays is, is so, so, such a small number. And I remember it being the most exciting thing in the world, having a murder to work on, which sounds, sounds dreadful to a non-reporter, but for us, it was so exciting. I also remember, the very first time that um, a roundabout, a traffic roundabout was built in Jersey. And that was a major story that we now had a roundabout to drive wow. around. Um, and I remember the first, uh, there was a pedestrian crossing and all sorts of silly things, you know. And then we did have a ferry crash, which was very exciting. So things did happen. But I think it was, for me, a really good place to learn the ropes. Mm. Um, I used to cover a lot of court cases and I developed a real love of covering crime stories there 
and it was just a great all-round experience and I and I worked on the newspaper and then I also did a few months on channel television which as as you know Ellie is the smallest ITV station <laughs> but so again that, a great place to learn a great place to learn because you know you you, you did lots of sort of fairly non-significant stories but it was a great grounding and I really enjoyed it I loved it and that and my love of TV basically started there as well well I was going to say that because how did you find that going from papers into television for me it was a really natural progression I remember being on the paper and I'd been on the paper for I think two years and um, a job came up on channel television and I said to my colleagues I'm definitely going for that it's the next step and they were like is it and some of them just thought no 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 newspapers is where it's at but for me it was a natural progression I'd, I'd spent two years talking about stories in words and now I had the opportunity to add pictures to the words as well so for me it was just an a be- even better way of telling a news story so I was very excited about it and, and I got the job and I I mean I was I was terrible I mean I was appalling I, I remember don't my, believe that oh, I have got footage I could show you Ellie Barker of my first piece to camera I will I look like a rabbit in the headlights it was horrendous Somehow they kept me on and I did get better, luckily. So That's what, Well, you did get me better. Mate. So you went on to ITV West when it was ITV West, not West Country. It wasn't HTV it, then, it was ITV West. No, it was HTV, actually. Ah, yes, yes, it's like, yeah. No, it was in, in Bristol, yeah. um, HTV. Yeah. Then you went on to International. This is when our past first properly cross. I, a full disclosure, yes. I, I have known Jackie for, may, for many years. I always sort of like followed in her footsteps I would say but that's probably bigging myself up there but um no. so you started off so at GMTV so I was a runner there and you that's were right. working I remember I think I was there before you and you came in and that's um, right. yeah yes. so you were th- so you started doing um you were reporting there I was a, I started as a, a they called it a reporter producer so I was free I started freelance actually there um I, was, I went freelance I was trying desperately to get into GMTV and I remember I used to I went freelance and I used to do crazy things like work all day at central television in Oxford and then drive to London and work all night at GMTV mm-hmm. so I used to double shift and I'd go home get a few hours sleep and then do it all again so I used to basically work 24 hours a day trying to get into GMTV and eventually they did give me a job but like yeah I started as a reporter producer sort of working night shifts producing stories doing a little bit of reporting and then finally they gave me a job as a correspondent and then of course you ended up being a correspondent as I well that, yes that's a whole different story Jackie <laughs> but um but yeah so but that I mean that hard work it goes to show doesn't it that pay that determination you really by then you'd found something you were loving you wanted to do so you yeah. really go for it. Were you married? You were married by this stage as well, weren't you? I was married. Yeah, I got married. Um, in fact, while we were still in Jersey, we got married. Um, so I'd been married for a, a while then. Yeah, and it was hard. I mean, GMTV was, as you know, Ellie, amazing, an amazing job. But um, we were away a lot. We were away from home a lot. Um, you know, we had to travel at the drop of a hat. We always had to have our passport in our bags. Um, and I was never at home. And and I did it for nearly ten years. Um, and I did, I did love it, and I covered some incredible stories all around the world. Yeah, you did. But it well, was I hadn't realised quite how much you had done because you did Kosovo, you did Madeleine yeah. McCann, you presented mm-hmm. on the sofa. I do remember that. Yeah. You were in LA. Yeah, yeah. But we used to go and cover LA and New York, and um, when the correspondents there were on holiday, so I would spend weeks at a time in in New York. I always preferred New York to LA. I'm not particularly a showbiz reporter. It wasn't something that interested me that much. But I used to love covering New York. Uh, yeah, I covered all sorts of stories. Covered famine in Ethiopia. Was in Ethiopia twice doing that. Uh, covered the aftermath of the Asian tsunami. Uh, I got to cover the Athens Olympics, which was great. I got to cover an Olympics, which was so exciting. Um, yeah, so many amazing stories. Really literally travel the world um 
but yeah, I did it for nearly 10 years. So it was it was a, a very interesting part of my life. Did you find that times, did you find that quite a surreal way of living? Very much so. I mean, it was really always very hard to explain to people who didn't know the job that, you know, if someone says to you, oh, I'm having a, a birthday party, you know, in July, can you come? I'd go, I'm really sorry, I have no idea. Because you just don't know where in the world you'll be. You can't leave a story halfway through to come back for a party. I missed my own birthday party one year because I was sent on a story. I've, I had to cancel holidays, you know, all sorts of things. It's you, You're sort of owned by the news desk um, and you go where you're told to go and you stay there as long as they tell you to stay there. And you, and you, you have to fit your life around that. So it was a strange way to live. And um, and I, did, I was conscious that I was letting people down a lot, you know, family members and people that I couldn't see often enough. I rarely saw my husband, which is probably why we're still married after 26 <laughs> years. Um, but um, at the same time, it was an amazing, exciting way to live as well. Because when you got up in the morning, you literally didn't know what country you'd be going to bed in that night. You could be in France, you could be in Scotland, you could be, you know, on the other side of the world because you might be told to get on a plane at two hours notice. And so it was a really exciting way to live. Um, but I did it for nearly 10 years and that was when I got to the point where I thought actually I kind of want a little bit of a more structured life now yeah. and so then I quit and I went freelance and, and, and that gave me more more control of my life when I when I was freelance after that. Okay well just before we go back on that because I know people listen to this will be wanting to ask these questions did you get nervous when you're doing your live reports? Um, I think I did at the beginning um, I tell you what, I, I probably, yes, I used to get nervous occasionally when it was a very complicated story because we didn't have, out in the fields as a news reporter, you don't have any auto cue, you don't have a script as such, as such, you're just, you know, kind of winging it really. And especially if it was a complicated story, maybe a court case or something, I used to get nervous that I'd make a mistake on live television. Um, and, you know, that could be quite, have serious implications if you make a a mistake sometimes in a news story so I used to get nervous about that but not really about being in front of the camera weirdly um I suppose if you thought about how many people were watching and at GMTV there would have been millions of people watching yeah. at that point because GMTV back then was was huge wasn't it and yeah. um, if I thought about that I would probably freak out but because it's just you out in the middle of a field somewhere with your cameraman and soundman who you've known for years and you don't really think about that so being in front of the camera didn't make me nervous but just making a mistake always worried me no I can understand and gone you're in New York in LA who was your favorite interviewee oh my goodness that's so difficult in those Um, times because you've interviewed other people since but in those times oh gosh I mean I interviewed so many people out there um who was my favorite I well I mean George Clooney was my my sort of favorite favorite but I did make a complete idiot of myself in front of George Clooney he was so nice and so lovely but it was at the premiere of the perfect storm do you remember the film the perfect storm and he played a fisherman or our perfect storm something like that and um he played a fisherman and for some reason I decided to ask him what his favorite fish was and he just (laughs) he just looked at me and went to eat or to look at and I (laughs) and I just thought no I really haven't thought this through and I said um um to eat I suppose and he just went tuna I suppose and he just he looked at my cameraman like who is this crazy woman asking me about fish but he was um he was not very well at, on the night of the premiere he had a really bad stomach bug apparently and um he was still so charming and so lovely and so nice and and obviously quite handsome so I did quite enjoy interviewing him I think he would have liked that you know because you hear that that they do like the unusual questions I mean that's quite an unusual <laughs> question Jackie that is yes thank you Thanks, Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. By, I'm yeah. impressed. I'm impressed. Yes. 
so um so you were doing that so you did that and and you also you were based by this stage you'd moved to your where you love living Cheltenham so you yes. very much worked with your lovely crew um who I have the pleasure of knowing um Simon Llewellyn sorry Simon to mention yeah. you there but um but so you had a real and the reason I'm saying this because we're going to come on to this later but this was a real part of your life wasn't it your your existence and that that is an amazing thing isn't it when you do work with a lovely crew it's one of the the most exciting parts and best parts of the job it is. I mean, we were so close, you know, um, myself and Simon, yeah, my cameraman and Jason, um, Jason Woods, my sound man. And we had a couple of um, very regular satellite engineers as well. So uh, and you become very much a team and probably very much almost a family in many ways as well. And I definitely over those 10 years spent more time with Simon and Jason than I did with my husband. There's no doubt about that because we were together, you know, five, six days a week. We were staying in hotels together. We traveled to different countries together. So you become very, very close and and that is really helpful, especially when you're doing maybe a very dark, very sad story. You know, if you, if you are working on, on a on major murder or a famine story or something or a horrible fire or something like that, having that camaraderie and that closeness with your crew and that almost the black humour which helps you through it as well. It's really important. And um, yeah, it was it was that relationship is hugely hugely valuable when you're on the road and spending so much time away from home yeah and it also goes to show how supportive your husband is as well because not many husbands mm-hmm. would like that but it goes to show if you've got somebody behind you you get to do you know you have memories that you will never ever yeah. forget which is in, it is incredible because it's just and god i you did it so much longer than i did it but you know you did have to start thinking you're going to have a change and that's like when you say um you uh, went freelance and again staying in this because this is still your actual first chapter you then mm. had a whole completely different change because then and what you still do now you have an amazing job of working for the qvc the shopping channel yeah i mean this again was something i went freelance from gmtv and i, I was freelance i think for six or seven years at that point and i ended up working for itn and again you know one of my career ambitions is also to work on news at 10 and i and i worked on news at 10 and and i was a newsreader the early morning newsreader for itn as well so i got to work on that and then i worked for the bbc in birmingham and i, and I worked on a property program for sky and all sorts of great stuff but I got to the point um, of, I think, six or seven years of being freelance that I could kind of see that um, things were changing. Newsrooms were having to cut budgets and the work was sort of becoming less available and rates were going down and not up. And, and I started to think, mm, I'm not sure how sustainable this is. And also, I got a little bit weary of the um, uncertainty of the freelance life. And it was great because I could say no if I wanted to, you know, do something, go on holiday or something. I could say turn down work. But at the same time, you never really knew each month how much income you'd have and, and how much work you'd have. So it was a bit insecure. So at that point, I thought, OK, I'd reached another change in my in my career and I thought um I actually for a while actually considered giving up television altogether and doing something completely different and I looked at becoming a garden designer because I'm quite into gardening I looked at um becoming a personal trainer because I'm you know quite into fitness and running and so on and I was seriously looking into courses and all sorts and thinking I'm going to do something completely different and quit television and then a director that I was working with at ITN said have you ever looked at QVC and shopping channels and I said no never never watched them never thought about them and he said I've been working at QVC and he said it's so much fun and it's really professional it's really slick and I think you'd quite enjoy it so I turned on QVC and I watched it and I thought actually it does look fun and it does look really professional and, and really nice and so I just sent a showreel on spec to the boss at QVC and he said the usual oh we'll put you on file we're not looking for anyone at the moment but we put you on file and you think well I'll never hear from them again and then a few months later they were looking for presenters and um, he called me and he said would you like to come in for an audition and I ended up having I think it was 
five auditions. It was the toughest job I ever, toughest job application process I ever had to go through. Um, but I got the job. And honestly, it's probably one of the best decisions I ever made. I'm there still now, uh, eight years later. I absolutely love it. It's so different from being a news reporter, but it's so much fun. I love it. So just going back there, going back to those auditions, what did you have to do? Oh, gosh. Well, the first one, so you had to bring an item in from home to talk about and talk about for about 10 minutes. So I brought in this, I had this um, zebra print sort of makeup vanity case thing. So I brought that in and I had to talk about it for 10 minutes, um, which I managed. And then they gave me, I think there was a ring and something else I forget I had to talk about each of them for 10 minutes um and then I had to do just a little general spiel to camera as if I was filling if something had gone wrong you know when things go wrong because it's all live television obviously uh, QVC it's all live unscripted no auto cue nothing like that um and so you have to be able to deal with live television and actually being a news reporter had helped me a lot with that because I was used to live television and having a director in my ear telling me what to do and stuff so I think being a reporter was quite a good grounding be having to talk about an inanimate object for 10 minutes or more <laughs> now I don't even think about it because I do it every single day and it's easy but back then I was like whoa this is hard but I clearly managed it because uh because I did get the job so that's amazing and how long the shows are they're hours aren't they so you're just you live television yeah. now to you must feel like just you know yeah. second nature I tend to yeah, absolutely. I tend to do, it's minimum three hours a day we're on live usually. Um, some shows we have guests with us, which is nice. They're talking about, you know, we have fashion stylists and we have, you know, people who are bringing us the, the different products. Who, but, but sometimes you do a show on your own and you just have to keep talking and it's live and it's unscripted. And it's honestly one of the most challenging jobs I've ever done. And I honestly, this is the honest truth. And I've, I have said this before, but when I left news after 20 years in the end I worked in news I had quite a few people expressing a lot of shock and and, and sort of concern and saying even strangers on social media messaging me going why on earth would you give up a 20-year career in news to work for a shopping channel and I had quite a lot of negativity around it um, and I can understand that it's quite a big change but I can honestly say it is the most challenging job I have ever done um, it is it's all live as I said there's no script you're flying by the seat of your pants all the time things are constantly changing you've constantly got voices in your ear from your producer and your director telling, giving you updates on things and it's so challenging and it's not at all uh, boring I mean I, I my worry when I started was will I be bored because I'm used to sort of traveling around the world and everything I have never been bored at QVC every day is a challenge every day is so much fun we laugh so much and I have never regretted it for a single second. And in fact, I wish I'd done it earlier. I absolutely love it so much. That's amazing, isn't it? Because it goes to show, isn't it? Because also, not only did you leave news, you left what people saw when you were at GMTV. You had like one of the prime jobs that I know. <clears throat> so many people I know now just so desperately would love to have. And you were west of England. You were going around the gorgeous west of England, going all over the world. You had security. <clears throat> you had a staff yep. job. Yep. So you gave that up. Then you yeah. went freelance and then you walked away from the whole news television, which lots of people mm. want to. So it goes to show, doesn't it, that if you if something's not right, it's much yeah. better to just be honest about it. Absolutely. And, you know, and I did when I left GMTV, I did. I was it was such a it took me about two years. I knew two years before I left GMTV that I wanted to leave, but I was too scared because I thought exactly what you've just said. I thought, yeah, I've got this fantastic job on what at the time was the big one. Big, I think at the time it was the biggest breakfast show in Europe. It was a huge show. And 
I just thought, am I crazy? And then I thought, actually, I don't know how to do anything else. So I have to stay here. And, and it took me two years to pluck up the courage to leave. But I knew as I get, got towards the end of that 10 years that I, it wasn't making me happy and that I needed more time at home. I needed to see my friends and my family more. And and it is a big deal. It's a hard, It was a hard thing to walk away from. But sometimes you, you have to go with your gut instinct and your heart. And, and, it's, and it has always worked out, you know. And, I, you know, I did it moving from zoology into news. And then I did it from, from going from news to shopping channel. And it has worked out every time. And I think you have to not, not listen to other people in some ways. You have to go with what's in, inside you and, and what feels right for you. And I was becoming very unhappy in my news career and now I am really happy so yeah. that you know it has worked out and if someone had said to you on that day which I can't imagine mm. what it must felt like when you actually handed in your notice at GMTV say that oh, I still were... remember <laughs> what was it like there was they were, they were very shocked um Martin of course you'll remember was our um our boss at the time um and he was really he was not expecting it at all and because I think I'd always I put on a brave face you know I, I'd always um, done everything I was asked to do I hadn't complained I'd you know I'd done everything well and and um I don't think anyone really realized how unhappy I was um and they were quite shocked I think um and at that point I was only leaving to go freelance I was still staying in in, in news so it wasn't such a big change but when I quit news altogether to go to a shopping channel that was when I really got the, the shock yeah. reactions. But you still are doing like all the things that you probably loved at the beginning like you're with people you're doing live yeah. television you're doing different stories and you yeah. and I've seen you know you do your lovely gardening programs which just look mm. gorgeous you do lots of fashion you work with the incredible Ruth Langsford who I'm not going to go yeah. on about my uh, little girl crush there but you know <laughs> it's it's you, you know you're so you're doing everything but also you get to go home and you get to still have your lovely yes. life as well so actually you've got it all together that's that is the thing for me that that is what has made the difference that I used to work in news I would be working six seven days a week really I mean we didn't you know you you always the phone was always on waiting for a story to break and you just have to go and so you you could easily work seven days a week and um, now I work four days a week in London and I have three days a week at home in Gloucestershire where I live and and those are the days when I write which we'll talk about later um, and it is it's perfect I know what time I'm going to be in work I know what time I'll be leaving work and for me that routine is something I sort of craved after 20 years of the uncertainty of, of news life and, and news life was great and I'm not knocking it in any way I, I would never have changed it for the world I had incredible experiences but I just got to the point and that we're talking about in my 40s got to the point where I needed more stability and a little bit of more of a regular lifestyle and I admire so much I still see reporters that I worked with back on the GMTV days and they're still there doing it and I, that impresses me so much I think wow you are made of tough stuff because they're out there still traveling around and I know the life they're living and I couldn't do it anymore but I so admire the fact that they can still do it yeah I I do as well and also the good thing of you Jackie now you can go to your own birthday parties yes I can which is a bonus isn't it <laughs> that's excellent that's excellent right so let's move on to now your next chapter even though you've had many chapters already so your next chapter how did this all come about so you you did you start writing while you were still at GMTV yes so during those last couple of years when I was starting to become unhappy um it, within sort of traveling the, the world all the time and everything I thought I need some I need something else to focus on um I didn't want to give up the job just yet because I you know I didn't think I could but I thought I need something else to distract me so 
I'd always loved writing at school and, and I hadn't done it. I hadn't done it for 20 odd years or more, 30 years. But I thought, you know what? I've got all these great experiences I've had as a news reporter. Maybe I'll try and make some of them into a book. So I started writing a book um, those last couple of years at GMTV. Um, it was about a news reporter called Cora Baxter, who worked for a breakfast TV programme. wonder where I got that idea. I wonder. And, uh, <laughs> and she initially it was a rom-com and she was kind of looking for love and she she was a, a woman who didn't want children which is my, based on my own experiences because I'm child free by choice it wasn't something that my husband and I ever wanted to do um so it was about her her looking for love the difficulties of trying to find a man in the job that she was doing and all of that sort of stuff um, and I wrote this book and I started sending it off to agents and I had absolutely no interest whatsoever and um, I gave up I had a stack of rejections and I thought well I clearly can't write can I so I put it away completely forgot about it and ended up then going freelance and having a bit more time and a few years later I took this book out again I thought hmm you know maybe I should look at this again Um, and I decided I would change the book because at that point I really was starting to read a lot more crime fiction and crime had always fascinated me and I thought why am I trying to write a rom-com when actually crime is one of my main interests so I changed the book around and I kept the the characters and the setting in a breakfast newsroom but I stuck a murder in it I murdered the boss in, in the I, first chapter again I'm not sure where you got that idea from Jackie but that's a whole <laughs> other story <laughs> so I basically made it um Cora Baxter became a, a news reporter who got involved in solving crimes and that book um, so basically that book took me six years to write because I started it, I put it away, I got it out again, I changed it and all that process took six years um, and then I started sending it off again and then I started to get a few nibbles of interest from agents um, and even so it still took ages to find an agent and then I got an agent which was so exciting and then he got me a three book deal. Um, but that was with a very, very small publisher based in Wales. But hey, I was on the ladder. I had a book deal and it was the most exciting thing ever. It was. It, I mean, I, I know how exciting this is. It's, you know, because that is just mm. such a, such a dream for every writer. But just going back there. So when you first did it and then you got rejected, when you got yeah. those rejections, how, because I think people listening to this might be thinking, you know, oh, it's like, look, you know, she's got that confidence. She was on national TV. She's doing, you know you've written something really personal and you think this is it this is the moment and then these people keep coming back saying it's not for us how did you feel mm. then um i had i'd read a lot um of interviews with other authors and i knew that this was a common thing in the industry in the publishing industry that it, it can be very very difficult and you have to be thick-skinned and you have to be able to cope with rejection and so I was sort of prepared for it but when you've had like 10 15 20 people all saying nah don't like it sorry not for us um it, do, it knocks your confidence of course it does and I did get to that point where I thought okay well I'm no good at writing this isn't going to work and that's when I just gave up um and then took it out again as I said a few years later and started again and and it is it's really difficult and I think you have to just tell yourself and this is what I read from other authors over and over again you have to just tell yourself that there are thousands of people all the time trying to get books published and agents generally get hundreds of applications to them every month and they often only just take on maybe one out of hundreds and hundreds so it's not even a you can't take it personally you have to just think well my book isn't quite right for that agent but another agent might love it 
and you have to just keep trying. And and it, it is the authors who persisted that do seem to end up being successful. Some are incredibly lucky and their debut novel is a, is a global smash hit and, you know, they get a big six-figure advance and all of that stuff. But the norm is not like that. And you just have to keep plugging away. And that's what I did. And it paid off in the end. But it, it ta- I mean, it's taken me years to, mm. to really you know get get there no I know I know it has so you um so you had an agent what was that like that moment when you had your when he said I'll, I'll take you on it was really exciting it was just I couldn't quite believe it um uh yeah to somebody saying yeah okay I think we've got something here I think we can get you a book deal um that was that was incredible and then he started uh sending the book out to different to different publishers and so on and um, I remember the day that I got the deal because I was in it was back in Jersey, weirdly, full circle, back in Jersey. It was our my husband and my 20, uh, 20th wedding anniversary. Um, and we were about to have a big party with all our friends. And then we heard the news. I got a phone call to say that I had an offer of a three book deal, wow. which was the most. So it really made that day Such so incredible. Oh. And I was able to announce it at the, at the party that I just signed a publishing deal, which was amazing. Oh, Jackie, that's amazing. So you did, um, you wrote then three books. I remember thinking, my goodness, I've got a three book deal. That means I've got to write another book because I, <laughs> to me, that was just a book. And I thought, I don't, don't think I can write another one. But they wanted a series of, of Cora Baxter mysteries is what they ended up being called, the Cora Baxter mysteries, um, based on this, this TV news reporter solving crimes. So I ended up having to write three of them. Luckily, 10 years at GMTV gave me so much material. And um, in fact, most of the stories that Cora works on, not the murders, obviously, that she ends up trying to solve, but the stories that she works on in her day job, they're pretty much all based on real life stories that I did at GMTV and the bizarre things that happened during those years. I remember reading a review on Amazon and somebody saying, oh, somebody who didn't like the book, because you get lots of horrible reviews um, as well as nice ones. And somebody who didn't like the book saying, oh, this is so silly because none of these things would actually happen in real life. She's clearly made up all these stories to try and make it all sound funny. And I remember thinking, I really wish I could reply to you because everything that you're referring to actually <laughs> happened to me in real life but people don't quite believe it so so I had plenty of material yeah you which did. was great and, and, and ended up writing three of those books so you did the dead dog day deadline and the development mm-hmm. brilliant yeah and I remember it because they th- there is this goes back to your um what we're saying earlier with your crew that she she's got a good relationship with her crew so you could you it's amazing isn't it how it does all come round in the end yeah. you never do anything that isn't worthwhile you always get experience and you can use it later so you published your first book uh when you said when you were 49 yes yeah, so just before my 50th birthday wow. um yeah, well, yeah so uh, my first book I think I got my dealer when I was 48 and my first book came out in 2015 I think when I was 49 um, and it was the most amazing thing in the world and it, it, it totally freaked me out I was terrified at the thought of anyone reading it which is ridiculous because obviously books are meant to be read but I was so scared um, I know that I, feeling yeah of course you do um, but it was amazing and I had some lovely reviews and you know um, it was the, it was so exciting seeing the book out there you know how holding a paperback in your hands for the very first time um, with your name on the cover is is still one of the most exciting things and I've never and I've written you know I'm on my sixth book now I've never got over that excitement of seeing my name on a book cover it's still just an, a crazy good thing to see and did you I mean I'm asking for a friend here obviously Jackie how did you find <laughs> doing the second book well now I will say that the second and third books were easier because partly because it 
it was a series so I had the same characters and I knew the characters by then and I knew you know all their friends and I knew how they would react to things so for me those two books were actually much easier than the first one certainly faster because as I said the first one took me six years and then I had to write a book a year for the next two years so they were actually okay those two I had all the material I had the ideas for the plots so they weren't too bad at all. It was only when I decided to change genre after I'd written those three books that things became trickier. But yeah, they were okay. It was good. People talk about that, that tricky second book, but I didn't really have that. It was my, my fourth book was my tricky, was okay. my trickiest book. We will, come, we will come on to that. So did you find as well, did you find it quite strange that you've, you've been doing your own stories and news stories in the past and you know, you very much you're in control of that. You tell the report and that's that. But then suddenly you'd written this book or three books and then they take on this whole new world of that, that, this whole new life. And you hear from people, you, you think, oh, my goodness, it's, it's such a magical feeling, I think. It's amazing. It's amazing when you get messages. And, and readers are so nice because they do often, especially now with social media, it's so easy to get hold of authors. I've done it myself, you know, tweeted or sent Instagram messages to my to authors who I've loved their books. And, and when they reply, it's the most exciting thing. And um, so I always try to reply to anyone who messages me on social media. But it's so nice to get messages from people who said, I was up till two o'clock in the morning reading your book. I couldn't put it down. You know, I took it on holiday with me, stuff like that. It's, it's such a, a joy because you think, my goodness, it's something I've just sit at home at my desk making up stories and the people are willing to pay money for them and then take them on holiday with them and read them in bed and all of that stuff and that's just it's a, it's a privilege it's a massive privilege mm. and again it's something you never get over even six books down the line I've still I still get such pleasure from getting those messages no I bet you do I bet you do so you, no. and you were still obviously you were working at QVC so you're doing your writing around that did you ever think that you wanted want it to become like your whole job or were you quite happy balancing the two yeah I mean certainly financially um the there's no way I could have, you know, I mean, you don't, I mean, people think authors earn a lot of money. It depends. It depends how many books you sell. And, you know, if, if most of them are 99p books and you only make a few pennies from each one after your agent's been paid and the tax man's been paid and all of that stuff. So um, financially, there was there was never a, a question, certainly back then, um, uh, as to whether I could do it full time. Um, but actually, do you know what? Even now that, you know, things have changed a bit, I still wouldn't. I don't think I would want to be a full-time writer because I need that interaction with people. I find it quite inspiring. I get ideas often when I'm driving to work because I have a long commute, obviously, from Gloucestershire to London four times a week. And many of my ideas have come while I've been driving. Um, and I just feel that I would get very lonely sitting at my desk all day, every day. So for me, I don't think, you know, unless circumstances change, but at the moment, I have no plans to ever become a full-time writer. Um, I I enjoy doing both and while I can do both I'm going to carry on doing both yeah absolutely 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 um so then though what made you change well you changed agent and you yeah. changed genre so there was a big change big change I'd written three Cora Baxter mysteries and um, they are in the genre that in publishing is known as cozy crime so um it's sort of um, quite gentle it, it's they were based around crimes murders but they're um there's humor in there there's romance in there there's nothing gory or you know graphic in there and they were nice books and there was a couple of reasons that I decided to change genre one was purely a commercial decision because cozy crime certainly in the UK is not a massive genre and there's a certain market for it but it's not huge and a much bigger market in the crime genre is psychological thrillers and darker crime novels and they're the ones that you end up hearing are the big bestsellers and 
And it, so it was partly a commercial decision. I thought, you know, I've written three books. I've kind of, you know, I kind of know how to write a book now, sort of. They were my practice books. Um, I'm ready to change. And I would love to reach a bigger audience because, you know, as I said, I sold a few copies of those books and they got nice reviews and so on. But they certainly didn't set the world alight. So it was partly a commercial decision to try and write something more commercial that might reach a bigger audience. And also, I had just really in my head I'd moved away from cozy crime as well I didn't really want to write romance and humor tied up with my crime I wanted to write something darker and um, it's mostly what I read I love real true life crime documentaries and podcasts and I read a lot of dark crime novels and I thought I'm gonna try my hand at something that I like to read so I wrote a book called Am I Guilty which was a um, quite a dark psychological thriller based actually I got the idea from a podcast I was listening to um, a true life podcast from America and it was about a crime um, and I remember listening to this podcast and thinking that crime doesn't really happen in the UK I won't say what it is in case people want to read the book but I remember thinking that's a really unusual crime I don't think it really happens much in the UK and I looked it up and there had actually never been a prosecuted case in the UK and I thought so I based my novel on the first in inverted commas um, such prosecuted case in the UK and um, that became a book called Am I Guilty and then I thought I'm going to just literally treat this as almost a debut novel because it's so different from anything I've written before so I changed agent well I I I again started sending to different agents um what was that like doing that all over again that was really (laughs) scary again um but I knew that that my agent probably wasn't right for this book different agents have different interests and Mm. specialities and stuff so um and I started sending it out to agents and actually this time it was it was actually a very different experience because I had written in you know I tried to and somehow succeeded in writing something that was a bit more commercial so it was actually easier this time around to get an agent because I had a few agents almost straight away who liked it wow and I ended up getting a fantastic agent um, called Claire, who I, I went, we went and had brunch together. Mm. And we got on really well. It is really important that you get on well with your agent because mm. it becomes so important in your life. And um, I just really liked her. And she was so passionate about the book. And she, amazingly, because she's a genius and a wonder woman, um, got me a two book deal with HarperCollins, who, of course, are one of the biggest publishers in the world. Oh, my um, it's literally the most exciting thing ever I couldn't quite believe that that happened to me because I just wasn't expecting that well so what how did that happen so you had the first one it was your your 20th wedding anniversary what how how did you find out about this I was just in the kitchen I remember I was in the kitchen I just made a cup of tea and I got this call from Claire my agent and she just and she was actually she rang me about something else and I can't remember what it was something very inconsequential and then she says oh by the way HarperCollins wants to publish you and I was like what 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 (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she says yeah yeah just you know thought I'd slip that one in um oh, so yeah so I got a two book deal with Harper Collins um and that was amazing and it was very it was such a different experience as well from being with a small publisher which I was in the beginning um and having quite a lot of say in, in things like cover designs and so on to go to a, a massive publisher who basically are, are, are bringing out amazing books all the time and and um you know they they pick the book title I was always allowed to pick my book titles before you know the first three books this one I can't even remember what my working title for Am I Guilty was um but they 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 said this is what it's going to be called this is what the cover is going to be like wow. and, and they and you just trust them because they know what they're doing and it was a very different experience, but an amazing experience. I have an amazing editor. There's a great marketing team. And, uh, yeah, best best thing ever. 
Brilliant. Well, you say that, you say that, Jackie, because then the perfect couple came out. Yes. Ah. So, oh, my guilty. Um, oh, my guilty did okay. You know, it, did, it certainly did, it sold a lot more copies than my first three books did. Did okay. Did did fine. Did well enough. Did okay. Um, and then then I had then I wrote The Perfect Couple, which was the second book in the two-book deal I'd signed with Collins, And just this remarkable thing happened and it just started to sell and sell and sell and sell and I I don't even know why because I remember when I was writing The Perfect Couple I struggled with it so much and I remember thinking I remember actually at one point I was so worried about that book I was in tears and I rang my no I didn't ring I thought about ringing my editor and saying do we really have to put this book out because honestly I I think it's not good enough to go out and I'll just write something else really quickly, as if I could write something else really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I was so scared. I was literally in tears so many times over that book because I thought it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. And then it came out and it went bonkers. Mm-hmm. And it went to it got to number two in the UK. It got to number three in Australia. It became a USA Today bestseller. The audiobook went to number one on Audible. Um, I've so far signed five foreign deals for it so it's coming out uh this year in germany russia hungary sri lanka and south korea um it just went on and on um and amazon's one of amazon's most read books of 2020 i know i only discovered that that about a week or so ago as we record this and um that completely freaked me out yes it was one of amazon's most read and listened to books of 2020 and that and Amazon had a picture of it sitting next to Michelle Obama's ah, book which, which is just ridiculous oh no it's not and when George Clooney sees his friend Michelle Obama's book he'd be like that's the girl that asked me about the fish <laughs> <laughs> that's what they're thinking now Jackie but that's so why do you think because I I um like full you know hands up I'm not a big crime reader. My husband yes, is a massive crime person. Yeah. And as you well know, I'm all for you. I would, yes. have, read the, I would have loved your rom-com. Um, <laughs> but but I re- read it and I actually, I, I'm not saying this. I'm not, I promise I'm not saying this. I, it's one of the first books I read in a long time and I couldn't put it down. Danny wow. and Gemma. I was wanting to know where you got the cupcakes from, what bakery it is, because I've been looking for a good cupcake I just bakery. made up that ah, bakery, I'm afraid. Like, oh, <laughs> now you tell us. But so why were you so worried about it? What did you not think worked? Um, I think I thought people would guess the ending really early on in the book. I think that was one of the things. And a couple of people have. But that book now has over 8,000 reviews on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I would say most of the people said the ending was a surprise. So that that, that yeah, worry was obviously unfounded. And I just, I, I honestly can't put my finger on it. I just, I didn't think it was it was working, the book. I struggled with it. Um, I, I did do some major edits to it. I changed various big things in it. Um, and I, I think I just messed with it so much that I kind of lost sight of the overall story. And I just thought I'd ruined it. Um, I was honestly I was so anxious about it and if I had any inkling as to how successful that book would have been my goodness that would have changed things but for months I was terrified of that book coming out because when you finish a book often it is still months before it comes out 
Um, so I think I had about six months of worrying myself sick that this book was going to ruin my career and that nobody would ever read one of my books again after they'd read this terrible pile of pants. Um, and then it did what it did. So it, it, um, clearly I'm a terrible judge of, of what's a good book and what isn't. Because <laughs> uh, But, you know, I'm no psychologist. If I was to use my amateur psychology here, Jackie, do you think it's, you've had, you've got HarperCollins behind you and it, do you not mm-hmm. think it's sort of like a subconscious oh my god this this needs to be good or I want it to be better yeah there's a pressure that probably you're putting on yourself no I think you're probably right and I think also I'd, after five books and and I, I still I kept in my head a couple of authors actually um Ian Rankin who now is you know who wrote Rebus the Rebus books he is a global best-selling multi-million selling author but I remember reading an interview with him and he said it was his eighth book he'd written eight Rebus books and he was about to be dropped by his publisher. Um, and then he wrote the eighth book. And they hadn't, none of them had sold much. They sold a few, you know, they hadn't done anything crazy. And then his eighth book suddenly took off. And I always kept him in my head. Um, and also Paula Hawkins, who wrote Girl on the Train. Um, I think that was her fourth book. And so her previous three books hadn't really done particularly much. And then suddenly she has this global bestseller. And I'd kept these authors in my head and thought, okay, just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. It might happen for you. But at the same time, I thought, no, it's never going to happen for me. It's never going to happen. I'll be one of those authors who writes, you know, 10 books and none of them really sell many. And, you know, and that would have been fine because I love writing and I would have carried on doing it regardless. I really would have. And you don't have to have a great bestseller to be a successful author. If you write great books that make a small number of people happy, then that is amazing. Um, but I wanted to experience the bestseller. I wanted to have a book that sold a lot of copies. And so I kept going. But I think by the time that was my fifth book, The Perfect Couple, I'd started to slightly give up. And I just remember thinking it's not it's not going to happen for me. And it's certainly not going to happen with this book because it's a terrible book. And um, And then it did. Amazing. So that was incredible. Do you think it was by then as well, going back to what you're saying, you, you, you know, you had built up, you've built up this this following you had really built it up an experience i know what you say about the debut authors who have this massive success but often it's the authors jojo moyes is another one who they mm. sort of slowly keep going and it takes all these years to become an overnight success but yes it's, but it's so true with and also it probably will help you for your the to carry on it's not going to just be like a one-hit wonder it's a uh, not saying debut ones are but you know it's mm all what you'd been through actually at the time it must have been so hard but actually it's led to this yeah I think no that's absolutely right and it's a really good way of looking at it as well um and and certainly I mean you know you are still only as good as your latest book I suppose and, and there are you know very famous authors who write a new book and people don't really like it but then hopefully the, the next one they will really like and um, so I still am very anxious about, <laughs> about my next book because I have now another two book deal with HarperCollins so I've got two more and um, so the next one's coming out in June and um, again I'm really anxious about that one but I'm trying to be less anxious because I'm just telling myself look you know I have got a bit of a following now and it's nice and hopefully people who like the perfect couple will buy the next one and and so on and if they don't it's not the end of the world you know um and you just have to stay positive and and the fact is that I love writing and honestly if nobody read the books I'd probably still write them so I think it's a hobby for me that has become you know something I could earn a bit of money from as well but it's still mainly a hobby that I love if I'm not writing at some point during my week I feel all discombobulated I have to sit down and write you know it's it's part of my life now so yeah I think the key is just not to get too stressed about it just enjoy it and, and then what happens, happens. If, it, if you sell a lot of copies, it's great. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. 
I have to ask you this. How did you celebrate? Or how have you been celebrating? I... Have there been <laughs> well, bubbles, Jackie? Oh, my goodness. There's been so many bubbles over the last year. It was, it was really fun. Not in the bath. No, no, not in, oh, I hate baths, I've had baths for years, <laughs> I've washed, don't worry, very I'll good, show very good. Um, no, but my book came out, of course, during lockdown, um, Perfect Couple actually came out in April, and um, when we were still in the, the first wave of the of the coronavirus, and, and everything was really weird, and so I couldn't, couldn't go out, couldn't have a book launch, couldn't have a party, couldn't do anything, so it's basically me and my husband sitting in the back garden with a bottle of, of bubbly, in the sunshine, which you know what was lovely, yeah. and thank goodness for social media as well, because um, you know I had I had a book, a, a sort of an online book tour going on on Twitter, a blogging, a blogging tour. All the bloggers were featuring the book and stuff like that. So everything moved online. Um, you know, I did various Facebook Live and promotional things online and chats with other authors online. So everything moved online. So in a way, it was a very different experience for me. Uh, compared to people who bring out a book that does well in a normal year because normally there'd be big you know book launch parties and so on and signings and book and you know literary festivals and all that sort of stuff none of which I've been able to do this year but there was still celebration um and and each little thing that happened so when the book got to the top of the Amazon charts in the UK and then it got to the top of the charts in Australia and then it became a, a success in the States each one of those was another bottle of bubbly quite right and Asda you got into the supermarkets oh, yes <gasps> I forgot about that was exciting yeah because I'd never seen my books in supermarkets before um and yeah so for December um it was picked the perfect couple was picked as as does killer read for December by Karen Slaughter who is a massive American wow. author who does a tie-up with Asda and picks a crime book every month so she picked that book for Asda for December and also was in Tesco for December so that was another big thing to see my books in the supermarket yeah amazing how it just goes how it just takes yeah. and, and you know I think it's just because as well it's just an amazing book and combined with your following but do you think that there's no other explanation for it really is there because it's because otherwise publishers would know what to do it's just like the the magic when it all comes together yeah I mean I wish I could replicate the the magic of that and, and write another similar book that would do as well I, d I don't I really don't know and I've asked and I think I don't know people say that it was so twisty turny they couldn't put it down but they say that about a lot of books they said that about previous books of mine that sold a handful of copies so I don't know what I don't know what it is I think you just some books just take off and and, and there's no real reason for it and it's a lot of it's word of mouth as well and um, I think actually weirdly a lot of it's down to the cover if a book really stands out um, on Amazon or on a bookshelf, then people are more drawn to it. I think it's it's just a, a little mix of the of everything coming together at the right time. The cover was right, the title was right, um, and it just took off. And yeah, I wish I could replicate it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will, but I keep thinking about Gemma. I think she's yeah, and Dan, they were just very yeah, I do. They're very relatable. I think very relatable. And they're lovely garden. Oh, yes, they did have a lovely garden. Yeah. But the funniest thing um, about Gemma and Danny was that I had a message recently from a man in Chile um, who said that he had got two rescue kittens while he was reading The Perfect Couple in Chile, magic, bizarrely, and he called them Gemma and Danny. So there were no now way. two cats. There are two cats in Chile. Jackie, <laughs> you, kept that, you kept that one to the end. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay, so look, so let's just move on. So to be continued, what would you like to do next? Is there anything you'd like to do next? You've done quite a lot, but is there anything else you'd like to do next? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, the biggest thing I would love, and I, who knows if this will ever happen, because every author wants this, is to see one of my books made into a TV series or a film. Um, that's a, that's a dream. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. That's out of my hands. But that would be the most incredible thing. Um, otherwise, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing, to be honest. I want to keep working as long as I can. I want to stay fit and healthy as long as I can in the current climate. That's the main thing, isn't it? And I want to just keep writing and, and hope that people will like my books. Um, but yeah, a TV or a, a TV series or a drama would be incredible. I can see it, but you could you could have dare I say it, George Clooney as Danny. <gasps> could you imagine? <laughs> I would have to just pretend I'd never met him before and yeah, not talk about fish. Don't mention tuna. <laughs> Don't mention tuna. I can I can honestly, Jackie, I can so see it happening. I really can. So <laughs> moving on now to your acknowledgements. Now, who mm. do you think over? I mean, you've had such a varied time. Such a varied time. But who do you think, who would you say has helped you, who has been the biggest influence on you all throughout this? Um, my agent obviously has been incredible. I wouldn't be where I am today without her. She, you know, she's the one who who found the deals, negotiated the deals, um, and is always really supportive. So she's incredible. Um, I would say other authors, and I think this is something that really surprised me. Um, and having worked in news as we have for so long, Ellie, um, news the newsroom business and, and the news business is not always the most incredibly supportive and I always found that you're only as good as your last story and um, there's a lot of com- competition obviously between news organizations and people don't really help each other out that much certainly you know you know if you're working for the BBC you're not going to get any help from a reporter from ITV or Sky or so on you know it's quite competitive so when I started writing I expected authors to be the same. I expected authors to think, oh, well, her book's doing better than my book or, you know, oh, she's another crime author. I'm not going to help her out. It is so different. It's completely the opposite. Authors are literally the nicest, most supportive people you could ever imagine. And other authors have been incredibly supportive. Authors I've never met have, you know, written tweets about my books and, and, you know, written little bits of blogs and stuff when my books are coming out and I do the same for them I'll always retweet if new authors are coming out and bringing out new books and you know we all support each other and that's been amazing and there's a in Gloucestershire actually there are quite a few really well-known authors living in Gloucestershire and people like Dinah Jeffries and and Katie Ford and Rachel Joyce and all sorts of amazing uh, Mo Hader and some amazing authors um, live in Gloucestershire and we all know each other and we all support each other and we meet up and when we can when we used to be able to meet up um, and that's a really nice group to be part of as well because we all um, you know support each other and, and help promote each other's books so that has been a surprise and a joy to have that support from other authors it's been amazing yeah it's amazing and also I learned this that actually authors aren't in competition because you want especially ones in the same genre because you want people to keep mm-hmm. reading the books while you're writing your next yes one. you're never in competition yes. with authors, which I never understood that but it's it's a much lovelier mm. world it is it's really nice it's lovely yeah and everyone's books come out at different times and yeah so it's it's and even if your book comes out on the same day as someone else is in the same genre it doesn't really matter because this, there's enough readers to go around you know so it's wonderful to support other authors and to have that support back work's been really supportive and, and my husband of course who's you know very tolerant of me <laughs> writing all the time I'm actually on leave this week as I'm speaking to you and I've basically been writing every day um, not that we can go and do anything at the moment obviously anyway but you know I could be going out for walks with him or watching films with him and I'm, I'm not I'm sitting at my desk um, and I've written you know every holiday we've been on for the last six or seven years I've been writing during the day and you know sort of joining him later in the day on holiday and stuff so he's very supportive and my family and 
you know, it is a time consuming thing being an author when you've got a full time job. And so friends and families sort of have to be a bit accommodating sometimes and they really are, which is wonderful. Because, in fact, this goes into our very and finally section, because often like, people are going to say, and I know this is such a huge thing, you know, people don't have time. They're so busy with so many different other things, but there's something you really, really want to do. You essentially you work seven days a week, really, don't you? And on holidays. Yeah. Yeah, I actually do. I, I very, very rarely take a day off. And if I do, it makes me feel a bit anxious <laughs> because I feel I should be writing or something. So, no, I essentially work seven days a week, but it doesn't feel like work. Work feels like work when I go to my job, obviously. But when I'm sitting at home writing, that doesn't feel like work because it is such a passion. As I said, if nobody bought the books, I would still write the books because it, I just have to. It's a compulsion almost. I have to write and it's my happy place sitting at my desk, tapping away, making things up. So I think if it's is that somebody said once, didn't they? Um, if you find a job you love, you never work a day in your life. And that's so true, because if you love something, it doesn't feel like a job. No, I absolutely agree. So yeah, so if someone's listened to this, and they are thinking, they're out there running, as you do, you're a great runner, um, or just walking, getting a bit of fresh air and thinking, oh, like, you know, a bit like what you were when you were at GMTV, you know, this isn't right anymore. This isn't right. This is just not fitting a bit like when you're in the zoology or whatever, even you're thinking, do I just change my job? What shall I do? What would be your advice to that person who's got no idea what they want to do, but they know they need to do something else? I think you have to really explore your you know you have to really get to know yourself and think what is going to make me happy I think deep down we probably do all know what's going to make us happy and we just have to focus on it I think it's really hard to get what you want unless you know what you want and that sounds silly but you know just to quit for me and this is just me but but I've heard other people saying similar things who've done what I've done and to just quit a job with no plan and nothing to go to is is a really big scary thing to do and it doesn't always work so I think you have to focus and work out what you want first and then you have to lay a little bit of groundwork you know maybe make some contacts in that industry ask people who are already in that business for help for advice and people are very kind generally and happy to give it to you and then just have a little bit of preparation and then take the jump and for me that was the way I did it always you know when I went quit GMTV to go freelance I made sure I had a little bit of work lined up first and when I uh, joined QVC I actually started on a three-month trial and and I knew at that point right this is what I want to do and I just remember thinking this three-month trial has to work there is no you know failure is not an option this has to work I have to make this work so you have to just you have to be a bit brave sometimes you have to jump and hope the net will appear but I think a little bit of groundwork first is important but the key thing is finding something that you're passionate about because you're never going to be truly happy in a job I think if you if you if it's just a job and you don't you know it's just a way to pay the bills and you don't love it I think you need to love it and only you can decide that can't you because often people say oh you know look Jackie you're lucky now you know what you want to do but actually you didn't really know what you wanted to do it's all evolved Mm, it's all evolved when I was a zoologist I knew it wasn't right but I didn't know what was right as I said, I, I slowly, you know, worked my way towards, I, I got a job on a newspaper, so that would be interesting. And then I thought, yeah, the newsroom, the newsroom. And that's when I, that's when I had that, that light bulb moment. And, and yeah, I think it's just one of those things that 
you get to know yourself as well more as you get older I think and you start to realize what makes you happy and what doesn't is a nine-to-five job going to make you happy do you like that routine or would you prefer to have something that isn't that's a bit more you know sporadic hours or, or late do you like working late do you like working in the morning do you like working indoors do you like working outdoors it's sort of narrowing it down almost do you like working with your hands do you like working with your brain what is it what makes you happy and I think it takes time to work that out but when you do it's just you get that light bulb moment you think yeah this is it this is it and and that's when it becomes not really a job anymore it becomes just a passion and a way of life Jackie Kavler you have been such an amazing guest I could speak to you all day I probably will one day um thank you so much for coming on the next chapter it's so lovely to talk to you I missed you and it's good to chat we'll see you soon hopefully so there you are I know I'm biased but she's brilliant isn't she now what I took from that is deep down we probably all know what is going to make us happy how can we ever get what we want unless we say what we want well go on then you've got to be brave say it you can tell me and Jackie I know she'll think it's brilliant now Jackie's book The Perfect Couple is out now it's so good I promise I bet you can't guess the ending despite what she says And you can pre-order her next book, The Happy Family. To keep in touch with me, and I really hope you do, I'd love to hear from you at elliebarkelwrites.com. And now I'm just going to say that last usual thing. If you can rate and review this episode, then that would be marvellous. But in the meantime, go on, say it out loud. Go on, what do you really want to do next? Okay, looking forward to hearing from you. Speak soon.